Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. And I'm Ebony Monet. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. Today, we're talking about one of our closest relatives in the animal kingdom, the gorilla. We're traveling to Central Africa, to the Ebo Forest, where a distinct sound led a San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist to discover a group of gorillas previously unknown to science. But first, let's learn more about this charismatic, intelligent forest dweller. Ebony, people are really going to enjoy this conversation. I've been with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance for about 21 years now, and I can attest to the fascination people have with gorillas. How about you? What would you, Ebony, like to know about the largest of the great apes? Rick, I am awestruck just looking at a gorilla. I think most people would agree gorillas are fascinating. Have you had any experiences maybe in your career with gorillas that stand out? Oh, goodness. Yeah, for me, I would have to say it is the very beginning of my career. Actually, even before my career officially started, I was volunteering at a zoo during my summer break between high school and college. And I was fortunate enough to be placed as an intern uh, to work with the apes and primates. Although my role, of course, was primarily cleaning and food prep, on occasion, I was able to shadow the main staff there and sit with them as they, you know, took care of the gorillas in a protective contact situation. And of course, that's basically there's protective barriers. We're not in there with the gorillas. That wouldn't be very safe. And I just remember that the sheer size of the adult male gorilla, when we would sit there with him and, you know, they'd give him some bananas or some grapes or something and just spend some quality time getting visual look on him. These males, they're known as silverbacks and they're just huge the broad shoulders, the massive head, and their hands. I mean, when you would see the handoff of a little bit of a food item from the wildlife care specialist to the gorilla, it was also breathtaking. I just remember sitting there in complete awe of their their presence and just how gentle they were. That sounds like an amazing experience. So, Rick, gorillas are known for being closely related to humans. You hear that often. But what does that really mean? Just how closely are we related? Yeah, I think, you know, anyone who has spent time observing gorillas would agree. We see a lot of individual behaviors, interactions with the group and family dynamics that all look familiar to our own. Now, when we do hear the term closely related, it's referring to the similarities that have been found when we look at the sequence genomes for gorillas and humans. Now, essentially what that means is we're looking at the sequential structure of the DNA, the genetic code. Now, at this time, we can say gorillas share about 98% of the same DNA as humans. That is amazing to me. Wow, 98%. So gorillas are also known to display like human-like behaviors. Can you give us some examples of that? Oh, certainly. Uh, We can easily observe mothers with their babies, you know, holding and nursing them like we do our own. Uh, We'll see siblings play and wrestle and tease each other much like our own children do. I really think the more time that you or anyone else spends observing them, the more we start to see a bit of ourself in them. Rick, since gorillas are so similar to humans in so many ways, does that translate to caring for them? Do they receive similar medical care as humans? Yeah, that's actually a great question, and the answer is unequivocally yes. Uh, So remember how we were talking about their genetics being similar to humans. 
Well, with so much in common with humans, that means their medical care is similar to ours as well. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, wildlife care specialists noticed that one of our gorillas, three-year-old Leslie, uh, she had some cloudiness in her left eye. And when they were able to look at it further, they were able to recognize that she had actually developed a cataract in that eye. So our veterinarians are incredible. They can work on something as small as a hummingbird to as big as an elephant and everything in between, you know, reptiles, mammals, birds, all of it. But when you're looking at something as specialized as a cataract in an eye, that's when we have to turn to those who do that work as specialists on humans. So we were able to partner with several specialists from UC San Diego Health and they came in and did the work. They were able to remove the cloudy lens, which is what a cataract is. It's when that clear lens in the eye has some sort of challenges that are causing it to go cloudy and replace it then with a medical grade lens, just like you would in a human. And right away, she recovered with no problem, just as you would a, a human. And she's been going on <laughs> really well ever since. You'd never know there was ever a problem with her vision. Rick, that's a great story. So she's okay right now? Yeah, she is absolutely completely recovered from it. And like I said, it was a couple of years ago, so she's doing great. Awesome. So when you look at a gorilla family, um, say at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, you'll notice that also like humans, there's a range in size. Just how big can gorillas get? Well, you're right, Ebony. The, the range in size within a gorilla troop is pretty impressive. Uh, a Western lowland gorilla weighs about four and a half pounds at birth. So that's, that's, you know, a little bit less than maybe your average human, but they can grow up to 159 to 216 pounds if it's a female. And get this, the males can grow up to 300 to 400 pounds. And we're talking height, the females can reach about five feet, where males about 5.7, almost six feet. Wow. So they're, they're not too tall, but they're definitely stocky, big, muscular species. Yeah, you know, when you have a chance to watch them and you see them move, you realize, just like you said, it's all muscle. They are very muscular, strong, very powerful animals. Being so powerful, what do gorillas eat to support their large, muscular bodies? Okay, are you ready for this? An adult male gorilla can eat up to 40 pounds a day. And believe it or not, that's 40 pounds of plant material. Now, this includes leaves, stems, fruits, seeds, roots. They, they love it all. And for comparison, the average adult human eats about three to four pounds of food in one day. So almost 10 times as much in weight of food per day to keep those gorillas going. It's surprising that they're sustained off of a diet of, of, of plants. They really are gentle giants. Gorillas are described as, as being gentle and, and playful and, and peaceful. How does this play out in their community dynamic? Yeah, as big and powerful as the dominant male silverbacks are, they do rule with a sort of that strong, silent type attitude. Now, each family group, also known as a troop, usually has one dominant adult male and then several females with their young. And there might be some younger adolescent males in the group as well, but for the most part, it's that one dominant male that, that runs the troop. Now, males are incredibly powerful. They have large canine teeth that can cause serious damage. But get this. Even with all that strength and those massive canine teeth, almost all conflicts between gorillas are resolved through threat behaviors, basically like yawns showing the big canine teeth, or loud displays like that classic chest beating that occurs that makes that loud noise. 
And those behaviors are all usually seen when there's an outside gorilla trying to come too close to the troop. Uh, if within the troop, if there's any disagreements, threat behaviors are rarely, if ever, seen. Wow. Um, so how do they resolve conflict within a, a troop? Honestly, it's pretty impressive to watch. You will see them shift position. So it's a matter of personal space almost. If there's some conflict going on that the, the dominant silverback thinks should stop, he'll simply place himself between the two that are having a conflict. And this, it's really, it's all very subtle, but if you spend time watching troop dynamics, it's really impressive to see how these subtle moves and strategic body language can really diffuse a situation pretty quickly. Rick, that's amazing. It sounds like the gorillas are practicing a, a sort of conflict resolution. <laughs> yeah. So I was surprised to learn that gorillas have no natural predators, yet they're critically endangered. Why so? Yeah, unfortunately, gorillas are dealing with many challenges. You know, among those challenges are habitat loss due to either overhunting or trapping. You know, logging has been a big one for many, many decades that they've had to deal with. And excessive mining for precious metals is another one. Now, we also hear about, you know, without logging, they're clearing land for palm oil. So interestingly enough, one of the metals that they mine there in the habitat where gorillas can be found is called colton. That's a metal that's important for many of the electronics uh, that we use, such as smartphones and, you know, different tablets. The good news is when you recycle your old electronics, instead of just throwing them away or putting them in a desk drawer somewhere, you are directly helping to reduce the impact of mining on gorillas. That Colton can be taken back out of those items and put back into the system, therefore causing less draw on the natural resources. Thanks, Rick. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance partners with community conservation organizations around the world. One of our eight conservation hubs is the African forests covering the tropical Congo Basin forest ecosystem in Central Africa, where gorillas are a key species we're working to protect and save. Pull out your passports. Coming up, we're traveling 9,000 miles away from the San Diego Zoo to Cameroon's Ebo Forest right after this. Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. The San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is set to participate in the 2022 Tournament of Roses Parade. The float will represent the organization's past, present, and future in wildlife conservation, depicting a lion, a California condor, and a rhinoceros. The last time the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance had a float in the parade was 1996. Fun fact, the California condor is making a comeback. Did you know that there were once only 22 California condors remaining? And now, thanks to the efforts of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance and its partners, there are over 500, with more than half living throughout the Southwest. We'll be right back. Let's focus now on Cameroon's Ibo Forest, one of the largest and most ecologically intact forests remaining in the Gulf of Guinea, a region considered a biodiversity hotspot for the wide variety of wildlife found there. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance concentrates on gorilla conservation efforts there through the African Forest Program. It's a perfect time to talk to biologist Bethan Morgan, who leads the program. Hi, Bethan. Hi, Ebony. Thanks for inviting me to talk to you today. We're so excited to have you. 
Can you help us visualize the Evo forest? What makes it a biodiversity hotspot? Of course. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about Cameroon. Sure. So Cameroon's a coastal country existing sort of between Central and West Africa, and it's a little bit bigger than California. It's often called Africa in miniature because in the south it's got this lush tropical Congo basin rainforest, which gradually transforms into a drier savanna habitat as you go northwards. Um, and that's a little bit reminiscent of East African landscapes. And in the west, it's got a second type of rainforest type, which goes off westwards into neighboring Nigeria and into West Africa. And these are the Gulf of Guinea forests. Uh, and Ebo is one of the tracks, the largest remaining tracks, in fact, of um, Gulf of Guinea rainforests. You just said, yeah, they're a biodiversity hotspot. They're characterized by really steep rocky mountain sides, tall peaks. During the last ice age, we think this part of the world was really quite, quite a lot drier than it is today. But islands of forest remained on these slightly wetter mountain sides, so that when the climate warmed again and the forest was able to expand, huge diversity of species, both the ancient species and some relatively new species, developed to fill in this wide range of habitats. So from a scientist's perspective, what's the significance of the region as it relates to gorilla conservation? Well, Africa as a whole, of course, there are two gorilla species um, generally considered. There are the gorillas in the east and the gorillas in the west. Um, and each of these eastern and western gorillas are also split into subspecies. So in the mountains of East Africa, you probably know about the mountain gorillas, which were studied by Diane Fossey at first. There are also eastern lowland gorillas there. But in Western Africa, um, there are also two forms of gorilla. The western lowland gorillas, which we have in San Diego, of course, but also they are the gorillas that exist in all zoos around the world. But there's also a really small separate group of gorillas called cross-river gorillas that live on the boundary between Cameroon and Nigeria. That was the case until 2002, really, when we visited this place called the Ebo Forest. And we were not really expecting to find gorillas there because the Ebo Forest is halfway, if you like, between the Western Lowland Gorillas and the Cross River Gorillas. Well, there were rumours that gorillas were there. We wanted to find out if that was true. So tell me about your, your team's experience in 2002 and what all unfolded. It was quite something. At the time, I'd started my postdoctoral fellowship with San Diego Zoo. One day, we started to drive to the Ebo Forest and it started to rain and the car got stuck and it was getting dark and we were starting to panic so we continued on by foot to the nearest village so i and my three colleagues we introduced ourselves to the traditional chief in the village and we asked him for permission to enter the forest the next day with two of the best hunters in the village they told me that we would also find gorillas so of course i was quite excited at this point but one morning at about half past nine, we were wandering around in, on some mountaintop and I heard what I'd been hoping for. I heard chest beats in the distance. And it's only gorillas that do chest beating. It was quite something. So the first thing that I saw was a silverback gorilla 25 meters up in a tree. Wow. And there was another fully black gorilla next to him and a, roughly a two-year-old little one as well. They were all together up the tree and it was just astonishing. Immediately the silverback saw us and he almost fell down the tree. It felt like he came down so rapidly. It was really quite something. Can you describe how you felt when you, when you heard the chest beating and you knew distinctly what it was? 
And I found it quite emotional, to be honest, because it was, it was knowing that there was something very special there. And the fact that I'd heard the chess beats meant a lot to me, but I knew that that wouldn't be enough to convince other people that gorillas were in the forest. I needed to actually see them with my own eyes, and I needed my, my colleagues to see them as well, you know, so that we could return back with news of the fact that the Ever Forest did indeed contain gorillas. So before your team made this discovery in 2002, gorillas were not known from the science community to be in that forest. That's right. There'd been a couple of rumours beforehand, and some biologists working with WWF had gone there and found some ground nests, which is often, you know, thought to be gorillas making ground nests. But we now know that chimpanzees also make nests on the ground. So, um, you know, without genetic evidence, which in those days at least was pretty difficult to get a hold of, um, it's, it's virtually impossible to tell the difference between gorilla and chimpanzee nests. And that's certainly true in, in the Ebo forest. So today, you know, we, we know for sure we have both gorillas and chimpanzees living together. On, in our camera traps, we have videos, footage of both of them from exactly the same camera trap. Not at the same time, but they're in the same part of the forest. There have been major challenges protecting and preserving the forest landscape. How fragile is the situation? And I'm, I'm referring to the suspension of logging in the, in the region. Yeah, well, the situation across much of the remaining forest in Africa is very fragile. Um, we in the West can usually see the enormous benefit of preserving rainforests and wildlife as part of a healthy global ecosystem. But of course, many of the governments in Africa are struggling to develop their economies and improve life expectancy and living conditions for their people. And quite often, you know, forestry and wildlife conservation is not necessarily at the top of their agenda. There are also many diverse pressures on the remaining forests, you know, whereas in the past, we used to put all of our emphasis really on hunting and logging as being the major threats to animals such as gorillas. But we're increasingly seeing that other factors, including sort of the global demand for palm oil, which leads to large-scale forest destruction and devastation to grow monocultures of oil palm plantations, that's at least as important as some of these more traditional threats. In early 2020, the government of Cameroon announced plans to commercially log the entire Ebba forest, and it was really a race against time to bring people together to try and make the government rethink its plans. First and perhaps most importantly, action was taken by the local people around the forest, you know, because they believe that the forest belongs to them. It's their customary land. And of course, we've been working them as well for, for over two decades now to raise the level of pride in the Ebba forest and their knowledge of it. And their voice and actions, we think, really made a difference in changing the government's mind. In addition to that, of course, we were able to mobilize the international conservation community to shine a light on these logging plans. Many conservation organizations in the US, in Europe, as well as Western governments, all joined forces to call out these logging plans. However, despite the President of Cameroon's suspension of the logging plans in late 2020, we're not resting on our laurels, and we're aware that unless a solution is found to encourage governments such as Cameroon to preserve the forest instead of destroying it, then threats will always exist to the remaining forests. So we at San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance are working with partners, including civil society organizations in Cameroon, 
and overseas conservation organisations to persuade the government to allow the local communities to decide the future of the landscape via a new and an inclusive land use planning process. Because we believe it's for the local people who've protected the ever gorillas for thousands of years. We believe it's for them to decide and have the final say in how their land is managed. And we believe that they'll choose a future that includes the continued existence of the gorillas in Ebba. So what's next in terms of gorilla conservation in the Ebo forest? Well, as I said, we've been working with these communities now in Ebo since 2002 to establish a long-term conservation programme. And around 10 years ago, um, Dr. Ikorge Abwe, who's now the programme manager in Cameroon and my close colleague, started efforts to encourage the local traditional chiefs to form an association. And now this includes all of the 40 traditional chiefs in the region. And it's a real force for positive long-term change. And we also, of course, help to establish and we still support the Gorilla Guardian Clubs that I mentioned earlier in the three villages closest to the Ebo Gorilla population. These voluntary clubs, they've now got close to 400 members, so almost everyone in the communities is involved in some way. They monitor the gorilla habitat for threats to the gorillas. They're also involved in sensitization and educational work in those three communities. And we're trying to improve livelihoods gradually by supporting small-scale sustainable projects to help with income generation from activities other than hunting. But ultimately, of course, we need to convince Western governments to support African governments to conserve their forests. The forest resources are of benefit to the whole global community, but the current burden of preservation does seem to fall on these developing countries. There has been, as we all know, a recent surge in public knowledge and interest in conservation worldwide, and I really hope that increasing realisation that we're all part of the same interconnected web would lead people to lobby their representatives to conserve biodiversity and habitats, both in their back gardens and further afield. I think we can all agree that the Ebo gorillas, like all remaining gorillas, deserve to continue to exist for their own sake, as well as for our grandchildren to know what an amazing animal they really are. Bethan Morgan, great talking to you. Good luck to you and your team. Keep up the fantastic work. Thanks so much for speaking to me, Ebony. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe and tune in to next week's episode in which we bring you the story of the Alala, the efforts to reintroduce this crow, which is extinct in the wild, to its native habitat in the Hawaiian Islands. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton. Our executive producer is Marcy DePina. Our audio engineer and editor is Amita Ganatra, with assistance from Matt Stillo and James Foster. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 